Yes. Yeah. So, so we're alive. Okay. So, hello, dear listener. Uh, welcome to Face the Strange, a podcast where we can embrace the only constant being change by sharing our humanity and living in the moment. And let's just see what happens. Uh, I'm Lucas, your host, and um, tonight we have with us Projected Twin. Hello. Um, hello. Thank you very much for, for being guest on Face the Strange. Thanks for asking. And, and thanks for um, letting me pop the strange cherry. It's true. Okay. This is the first one. I was trying yeah. to be like sort of elusive there, but this is the first episode and it's a, yeah, an absolute pleasure and um, a gracious, yeah, humbling for you to come on tonight, man. Um, so let me just do your intro though. Let's just um, talk about this, this entity projected twin. So you're an independent musician. You've um, yes. released you know, a few albums. Well, at the moment you're going to, you're coming to the third piece of a trilogy. Am mm -hmm. I right? And that's over the last like 10 years. So yeah. um, projected tweet in and of itself is always just being you. You're, you're the central, you know, songwriter, singer, guitarist, extraordinaire, but you, you have collaborated a bunch over time, like say with different, whether it's uh, instrumentalists or band members. And um, yeah. I was going to ask about uh, the difference. So you did actually release that, like, or was that re-released, like a single in back in March? Um, yeah, we, I had a, uh, it was kind of like, I guess it was like a remix, but, you know, it was still, still rocking and, and whatever. But there's a guy that I've been doing some collaborations with over in the US and he, he just kind of came to me randomly sort of in the middle of, of 2020 and I didn't know anything about him and he messaged me and was like, Hey, do you want to do a collaboration? And I say yes to everyone the first time sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, and cause you just never know how it's going to turn out. And, uh, we did this song together called how she makes me and he just, he played everything on it. I just did the vocals. It was from an old demo that I sent him that I made back in 2006. And within a few hours, he just put together this, this thing. And it was just weirdly enough, everything I'd wanted that song to be. And so uh, when he asked me if I would be willing to do kind of like a rewrite remix of a song that I put out on an album in 2010, yeah, so that's um, what I was thinking. Yeah, gotcha. Yeah, so that's I was just like, whatever you want to do, mate, whatever you want to do, I'll do it. Well, it came out well, didn't it? Yeah, I was really, really happy with it. And it was a nice um, it was a, a re, a nice retelling of somewhere I've been before. But I, I felt like it kind of it kind of got it how I wanted to get it the, the first time. Yeah, cool. And did you do something else recently as well with... Um... I think I saw this on your social social media that with an old friend, like another re-recording. Oh yeah. Yep. Yeah. So collaboration, um, I, should I say? Yeah. Yeah. A really good mate of mine, Alan, uh, who I went to high school with, he came on and played uh, six out of 10 songs uh, on drums for the new album. Um, ah. And he and I were in our very first band together and we were like 16 year old kids with dreams about being in the studio and our egos got the better of us and we never got there. And now we have. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. So in asking about those things, it's just, uh, it's been interesting to observe, yeah, how you've um, collaborated. I mean, you, uh, in, in my humble opinion, like has very form, formed sound, like um, your projected twin sound seems i can hear influences in there but you're as well i mean with the 
lovely, you know, singing voice you have. You've got very much your own sort of style in there. But you, yeah, it seems you have collaborated or with the albums you've made in the past, say with, um, yeah, mutual friends. Like, you know, we have like a Cat and Chris, like Lau, and, yeah. you know, playing the louder guitars there. Um, yes. Was that like, a, how'd that work? Like that that sort of group that you have there that's made those albums over the years, but then you've also worked with other people. How's that um yeah, does that it's, relationship? It's it's yeah. always been serendipitous in some way. So I always have a goal. Like I always know what I want to do. I always know I want to make something. And I and, and sometimes I even know what specific roles I need to have filled in order to make that thing around me. But to be totally honest, I've never really ever put much effort into uh ironing those details out and have just always bumped into the right person at the right time. Um, I had just come back home from um, about or about five years on and off, sort of half living overseas, half living at home. Um, and I decided that I needed to do my own thing and came home and I was going to make an album. And I had no idea how to do that because I'd never done that before. And I knew I wanted to play majority of it myself. Um, which meant that uh, I was going to be wearing too many hats. And just by pure luck, uh, uh, one of the girls I, I, that I was dating at the time, um, it sounded like I was dating multiple girls at one time. I wasn't. I was dating one girl at a time. Um, <laughs> uh, and, uh, yeah, she just she worked at a cafe and she had these regulars and she'd been telling them for ages, like, oh, you've got to meet my boyfriend. He's really good at music. And they were like, yeah, everyone's got a boyfriend or an uncle or whatever. And I sat down with them one afternoon and um, by the end of the conversation, um, I, you know, I guess essentially we were making an album together um, yeah, after amazing. that. And, and every other kind of relationship and collaboration has just kind of very much just gone the same way over time. I've always known um, that I was going to have a musical life um, who was in that story. I, I didn't know and still don't know, um, but I know who I need to find. I just don't know who they are. Okay. That's how mysterious. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to get back to like, um, core uh, facts uh, as far as talking about the music and talking about that timeline. So I've been going through. So like the trilogy, you had like what the beginning is Earth Meet World. Earth to World. Earth to World. Yep. Um, I know Earth Meet World is, is the final. That's right. Yeah. Yes. Earth, Earth to World. And then Earth versus World was, mm -hmm. um, was that still same lineup basically you recorded? Yeah. So the first like two. Earth to World? Yep. Yeah. So the first two were done. Uh, with um, Kat and Chris uh, from the Ladder Guitar Studios. Yeah. Uh, they've had a few names over the years, uh, but uh, they're incredible uh, um, Australian-made guitar craftsmen. And um, they also are really good at making music and turning knobs in studios and stuff as well. So they make great guitars and then they know how to track and produce great guitars. So they've got awesome um, sensibilities, like their taste is just so good. I love it. Yeah, yeah. They know what they, 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 know what they need um in terms of the tools uh but then they've also got incredible like craftsman skills as well no, so they're just sort of, yeah they're, they're they're able to mold mold the thing they can mold the thing sure. um yeah so they did the first two albums uh and then this album uh again 
I, I knew that I had to do a third album, um, but didn't really know until kind of looking over the previous two albums and in hindsight that the narrative was kind of building this, this towards this, this thing where this album is not so much a third chapter, but almost like a, like a prologue in that it's, um, completely unlike everything that came before it. So you mean prologue like a like a sequel, like a prequel, like which is just yeah, it's been, kind of like been so in vogue in, in so many different uh, mediums or or niches throughout. Uh, you know, it's stories being told. Um, the prequel is very much a thing, or the or the origin story. Is it an origin story? Well, it kind of it's kind of it, it kind of ends by beginning, if that makes sense. It's got a sort of a galactic, uh, metaphysical interdimensional interplanetary vibe it's the big bang it's the big suck you know the reversing of the big bang it's the it's the repetition you know the earth versus world ended with the complete destruction of everything uh and um what left to do after the complete destruction of everything but to start again from a singular cell and work your way out from there reverse vacuum yeah yeah, wow, it's, life spits itself back out. Yep. Awesome. Cool. Loops. So um indeed. Now, when um introducing you as projector twin, you know, in the musician um with epic talent and um as well quality, you know, quality product, like your albums are amazing, like your tones and your writing, you just it's a very much up my alley too, because I'm, um, you know, if we put a genre on it, it's in more in the progressive sort of rock um, vein, um, which I'm very much into. But look here, um, in talking about other aspects of your life, like you, um, as we chatted just before going live, that um, you did the psychotherapy study there for a while, a couple of years ago. Is that right? Mm -hmm. And yeah. um, and as well, like let's, because let's just touch on these different aspects of you. You know, so you you have children at home that you've been homeschooling. Yeah. Um, and is that, um, don't want to just roll this all into the, the one ball, but then you, you went and started, you know, being a musician, you also then went and started studying psychotherapy at the same time as your homeschooling. Yes. This is all happening. Simultaneously. Uh, no, these are all, these are all, I mean, I was still raising children at the time. Um, but homeschooling, homeschooling's, uh, we're probably one year into oh, homeschooling. So was that a bit point? of a COVID, yeah. yeah. COVID prompt kind of, yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. yeah. Yeah. Maybe. So they came home during the COVID time and we had been considering it for ages and then um, kind of like, kind of like everything else, it just ended up happening anyway. And so once we found ourselves doing it, then we just carried on doing it. Cool. So let's, yeah, let's get to touch on both these, these sort of things as we do. But yeah, I do want to ask about this. So you've got um, how many kids at home? Cause you, you and your partner, um, Anthony Comscaria. Did I yeah. pronounce that correctly? Yep. Yeah. Definitely sounds like a fantastic mushroom or something. Yes. Um, yes. She's uh, a mushroom fairy. <laughs> um, but you have, yeah, how many kids at home? And then, um, yeah, just say a bit more about how this homeschooling is going. And, and like for, um, I guess I'm asking the flow of, of life and also, so I guess how the kids are responding. Well, I suppose that's the primary idea. But yeah, just, just fill us in a bit on how. Well, funny. you know, so when we were considering doing it and we were talking to people around us, I've got three kids, sorry. We, we, um, uh, when Neeks and I got together, she had a four-year-old son. Um, so we, he's 16 now. 
Um, so I've got a 16 year old stepson. So I've got a driving stepson. Yeah. Now, yeah. Which is insane. Um, and my son is nine and my daughter is eight. Um, and, uh, yeah, in terms of like homeschooling, when, when we were considering it, uh, and we were talking to like friends and family, you know, we, we kind of got all of your classic questions about like, what about socialization? And, you know, like, uh, are you really, you know, are you really sort of qualified to do that? You know, they, they go to school with professional teachers and, you know, you guys don't have, you know, teaching qualifications, um, uh, no, I mean, that's the, uh, the most important thing, though, is an external opinion as opposed to you being the parent. I mean, come on. This is. Yes. This is <laughs> yeah. So we I did mean, that stuff sarcastically, like. Dear listener. I mean, that's sarcastic. No, I actually really, I actually do believe that. Um, but I think you got to be, you want opinions from the outside, but you want to make sure that you have actually um, given some level of assessment to where that opinion's coming from and how it may have been filtered the way that it has been filtered. You know, what generation have they come from? What experiences have they had? Um, yeah, all kinds of stuff. Do you, do I respect them anyway? Do I respect them anyway? Maybe I don't. <laughs> yeah. um, but uh, totally. so probably we're a year in. Um, I was playing a gig in Marion the other uh, this weekend, just gone, and my mum dropped in, and and Neeks and the kids were there, um, and my mum turned around, and um, she was probably a little concerned about the homeschooling idea at first. Mum turned around just this past Sunday and said, like taking them out of school was the best thing you guys wow, have ever done. Cool. So, like they're j just in terms of their level of confidence, um, uh, just across the board, really, um, humongous, humongous Amazing. change, uh, in them. Uh, we're lucky that I have two close aged kids together. So they, they still have some sort of, um, uh, relationship with, with what it is to have a, a close peer. Peer, peer group. Yep. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, and you know, um, we did things like, um, went and, um, booked them in to see like psychologists and stuff like that, just to, um, spend a little bit of time with somebody, yeah, because we weren't in the schooling system anymore. We thought it would be a helpful idea to just spend a little bit of time, um, with somebody who it is their job to have a child's welfare in their best interest and also not necessarily um, have to agree with what we say or our opinions about our kids either. So, so just, like a form of ch checking in sort of thing. You just wanted to. Yeah, little, yeah. We just wanted to make sure we didn't have our heads stuck up our asses. Yeah, I think. for sure. Totally. Which, yeah. which I think is a, is a good idea. I mean, as I intimated before, like I think that the parent, um, as long as there's, you know, conscious idea that ch children will learn if they can be helped. And mm -hmm. that, that idea of homeschooling, I'm not saying it's a throwaway idea, but I'd hope that people can consider actually if a parent is capable in whatever respect that that should be first and foremost recognized, but definitely the idea of checking in is also like, you know, yeah. from having that external opinion that, yeah, you haven't just said, oh, we're doing such great work. And really the child is, just there, <laughs> you know, yeah. bored as hell and not really, you know, flourishing. Yeah. Having yeah. looked, having looked over the last year though, and, and like, this is a bit controversial and we have copped a bit of flack for this in the past on, on our podcast, um, the Hey Dimu podcast that I have with my wife. Um, and we are kind of at this angle now where, um, we kind of feel like 
schooling as a concept as it is in, in, in sort of the modern world now is actually kind of a insane thing. Well, that, was, that was a recent episode of your podcast, wasn't it? Through. Yeah. That, yeah, that yeah. We, you were talking about that. That was just, um, yeah, the other week. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I liken it to like, uh, we just sort of basically touched on the idea that it's absolutely insane to get a bunch of children to be the majority population in a, in an enclosed environment and expect that uh, adults that are being outnumbered 30 to one are going to be the defining factor on what the culture in that place is. Well, I mean, I guess the prevailing idea there would be that authority should be, you know, just above everything. So authority, and that's implying that people can't think of themselves like being the students. They can't question authority because this one person's meant to, you know, reign supreme. Um, a thought yeah. I had before too, man, when you just mentioned the thing about peer was that, yeah, say for your kids um, to be closer in age and, you know, if they're doing homeschooling, a change of environment perhaps as far as their learning goes, um, but very much natural because, it's, you know, they're parents so they can relate to it without having to feel school need be anything in particular. But when, yeah, the peer element, I thought too that this can be, they could be peers there, but they're not necessarily, I mean, brother and sister, they will have a competitive, you know, nature in them as ever, however that comes out, but they don't necessarily mm. have to be measuring up to one another. And I think that idea yeah. could they're be out very of interesting classification yeah. system. Like they have a, yeah, exactly. Yes, precisely. That's pretty much what I'm getting at is not mm. a comparison measuring up thing. It's like, they're naturally mm. just going to be like, oh, you're like this, or you are, oh, you, you're learning like this, or you're, you know, you responded yeah. like this that but that's they can perceive it as opposed to it being oh no but this person at this age should be like this and you're like this yeah. like this is your classmate or whatever and well yeah. they're being they're, they're being measured against the the small number of kids that are actually able to engage with that specific teaching style so they're it, it, like schools don't don't have the time funding or resources to actually sit down and get to know kids on an individual level and actually get a proper gauge on um like they're 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 being assessed uh, in, i mean they, they, they try and catch them and they have probably more assistance than they used to have now i worked as an sso in schools for a little while um but even that you know is, is kind of a band-aid to the idea that you're still trying to assist you're, you're giving someone extra support to still try and learn the same way as everybody else around them so the support is actually just an added layer of pressure and another um, and, and another steamrolling of you're you're just not getting this, um, mm. and unfortunately, you know, it's just it's not appropriate to 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 judge all these other kids based on the few that engage with that modality of of teaching. Um, and one of the main things being that, like my my son Leto, who's nine. Um, educates me on the production of cells and I didn't teach him that and the school didn't teach him that and in fact I'm not really sure where he figured figured that out and you know he's teaching me things about atoms um and particles and uh like you know that's just off of his own interest but for a little while there he was completely losing interest in learning because um he was I guess kind of being um beat down by this this static track that he and the rest of the class have to be on. Is it, is it what, I mean, I'd say that probably the most apt thing is conformity. Conformity mm. can breed a, you know, apathy and um, lack of imagination. 
well, I guess that's kind of what it actually is driven towards, but as well, I suppose, yeah, the schools and um, if there's an environment, I still think traditional schooling isn't the, the end of the world. It's not like terrible and I like made it if, through. If for the, yeah, yeah, that's kind of how I think of it too. But if there's kids that it works for, it's obviously not a, a travesty, but I think more and more it's apparent that why prioritise or assume make this grand yeah. in a society. So we're talking, you know, whether it's just uh, Western, you know, society, but, um, you know, schooling throughout the world, I think when it becomes regimented to the point of uh, no, no individual cultivating or nourishment is it's um, mm -hmm. it just doesn't seem all that natural there's a little yeah. bit of the mental you know being harnessed and improved but otherwise it's basically fallow field it's that ain't no good yeah 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 and kind of like i said like um there are we have this weird idea that between roughly the age of five and 18 you would have been like educated in this broad spectrum of things that roughly by the time you get to 18, you should have this idea of where you're going, what you're doing, what your plan is, what your backup plan is. Um, and, you know, uh, it's, and also th that by that point, you should have some sort of solid outline on what your capabilities uh, as a student are. Um, and uh, I didn't know anything about this at at the time. Um, but w when I went and did like, um, my psychotherapy training and learned about neural development and how actually, uh, so much further we have to go from, um, when we leave school to be anywhere near fully neurologically developed right. so you mean in the brain, like brain development. Yeah. Yeah. Synapses so the idea connecting and whatnot. Yeah. So the idea that, that anybody before at, at least, at least 28, you know, 30 years old has any idea about who they are and what they are and are not capable of. Right. It's kind of insane. Yeah. It's, it's, it seems to be a fair slew of radical assumptions going on right there isn't it? about the adult human form. Uh, that's yeah. Well, quite apparent because i'm still um, a 35 year old child yeah I, well know. i was just about, I, I don't want to talk about myself too much because you're the guest on the podcast but i was going to say does that progress to like 38 till you still have no idea what's going on because <laughs> <laughs> i'll answer a few things over here uh, well well you know like like i guess like we were saying we you, we can't you can't measure one 38 year old against another 38 year old yeah comparison is the thief of joy mm -hmm. um there that's that resonates with me um look man i'm gonna do a bit of a segue here or just no i think it's like it is a it's it's, it's a smooth segue like if we talk about school and schooling and children the the mind the imagination well other things you've um you know i think looked at or studied in the past is like psychedelic treatment mm -hmm. and um i suppose you know using uh psychedelic substances for mm -hmm ways that can you know whether it's healing or um i suppose opening the mind um yeah just want to just open up that yeah. subject and see 
so I fell into that. I, so specifically when I went and trained in psychotherapy, I also um, did some specific work in altered states training. So um, light hypnosis and um, learned things like shamanic rituals and, um, and some, some fun stuff like that. And that um, started sort of spiraling me down into this conscious exploration because true, true psychotherapy is it's uh it's a little bit it's a little bit wild west you um and so have just to be just willing to see you your own Jungian? brew you like when you say psychotherapy i just want to see are you referring to like jungian psychotherapy is that that is or is that yeah. just one branch uh well jung jung um kind of founded psychotherapy he was the yeah. first um, he was a protege of Freud, um, and Freud developed the psychoanalytic model. Mm -hmm. Um, and they were all kind of traditional practitioners, um, and then sort of branched off. Jung kind of believed that, um, that there was actually something at play with some sort of level of collective unconscious and that dreams weren't just the repressed sexual and violent urges of people. And mm -hmm. Freud didn't like that and uh, wanted to maintain his authority a little bit over Jung. And so Jung branched off and did his own thing. Um, and I haven't really strayed off very far from there. Um, but uh, Jung was also a flawed flawed human being as all human beings are um, and uh, was kind of honest about that till till the end his book uh, memories dreams and reflections it was a it started out a memoir being written by a ghost writer uh, because Jung believed that no one could um, honestly write an honest biography of their of their life and then during the process realized that he liked it a lot and finished the book off himself <laughs> i am um, yeah i've read some interesting stuff from you actually um that one of my favorite authors is herman hesse and they actually um you know has sid arthur and stephen wolf and books like that and um yeah apparently they developed quite a friendship him and carl jung as well so there's some interesting yeah, right. um correspondences there yeah and jung um it was certainly very self-aware and uh that the way he does speak about his own uh, whether it's shortcomings or not, it's, it's very interesting. Yeah. Yeah. For, for a man that moves, um, yeah. In such realms as, um, is the one young book I had yet yeah, was, it was called archetypes in the collective unconscious. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. is that one that you've, that's pretty much his Bible. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's the, yeah. And so when you're, um, studying psychotherapy, were you, how much did you deal in, in the ideas of like dreams and, um, symbolism and, in, in, in the archetypes, I wonder, so, I feel a bit of a layman, even though I think I get the concepts quite like the core ideas. I get it. But um, with archetypes, what can you talk a bit about that and how you um, understand um, that? There's a, there's a lot in there, but um, <laughs> the, probably the one that most people um, grip with really well is um, so there's a form of storytelling which is archetypal and it tends, it turns out to be the most popular uh, and most um, successfully shared um, form of storytelling that we have in our culture, which is um, been sort of in modern times, I guess, condensed down to this two hour act one, act two, act three 
story and that the the basic premise is is that your 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 life is one like overarching three-part story that consists of many trials and tribulations throughout your life that is like you know this this is the sequel when he got his powers and this is the, no this is the first one where he gets his powers and then this is the sequel where he, he you know he realizes that like he's more than just his powers is this all i am you know like i'm not defined by these powers uh and then you know in the in the third one maybe he's got to got to hand it off to to somebody else to the to the to the to the protege to you know to the the next heir or you know something like that um which is kind of uh, similar to my my album concept you know the 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 end of the story is the passing on of the torch to somebody else person it sort of begins again almost something like this yeah 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 so you know and and in these stories um well, everybody is, everybody's the star of their own show, I guess. And, um, there is, there is a lot of projection and subjection that happens in all of our relationships and the way that we engage with other people. So you may be the hero of your own story, but you may, whether it be true or not, or just perceived actually be the villain of somebody else's, which means that we cannot confuse ourselves for any one archetype because you just do not know which role you play in any one particular person's life. And they're almost, it's like this multiverse of life going on around you where, and I, and that's essentially where the projected twin concept ended up. Um, I was too young and I didn't know enough to understand why I picked that name at the time. And then later on realized that I was basically talking about the fact that every single person you meet creates a version of you that you maybe never really get to. And maybe it's not even your business to understand. Yeah. Right. Wow. I don't know if you noticed just then, but I did have a little bit of like an eyes widening, but when I you saw. were talking about the name, yeah, because I'm like, yeah. no, but you've had, you've played under this, you know, this being your, your name, your, your, your other, you know, your doppelganger. 19 year old kid who picked yeah, cool words. Had, and yeah. then in retrospect, they actually had a real symbolic yeah. reference and like meaning. Yeah. Wow. Uh -huh. Cool. I think that's, uh, that's, isn't that a remarkable thing? If like, if there's something about life and uh, there's years going that if reflections uh, can, you know, if there's a profound thing to be a little nugget to be found that it really is helps you appreciate, I suppose that time going on isn't always just the worst and worst challenge of the door slamming in your face or something. Yeah, well, and we're also being led to believe that it's all happening at the exact same time. So, so uh, you know, that opens to the idea that um, maybe time time travel is conscious. Uh, maybe okay. maybe there's some communication going on between who you are now and who you will be in some sense. Okay, well, I'm following now. I'm going to quickly just go that like the Jungian that idea or the dream aspect you mentioned before, as if it was like things could be more of a collective unconscious, con collective unconscious. Yeah, uh, in in dream, like because um, I find that uh, terribly intriguing. I mean, in my own world, dreams can often be they're intelligible, but they're also they the symbolism is either very stark and obvious, or else completely mm. off the wall. 
And it would be interesting for me to know, oh, no, someone else has been, you know, contributing a little bit of spice over here. <laughs> someone else's <laughs> unconscious is what's, you know, feeding my random uh, some, some, someness thoughts. Get out of my dreams. Yeah. Get out. Uh, cool. All right. Um, okay, man. Let's, um, we, you mentioned it before, but let's talk about as well the podcast that you run with Neeks, your wife and partner, and, mm-hmm. you know, you, your homeschooling duo. You're both, I'm sure you're both principal and um, substitute she's, teacher at the same she's time. She's definitely principal and I'm the groundskeeper. <laughs> yeah, Probably that's... the groundskeeper. Do you actually, do, do you get the work done though? Or are you just. No. Like... <laughs> talking to the like, kids kids at recess and lunch and you're meant to be yeah, yeah. work and just sitting on a lot you're sitting on like one of the right on mowers just not doing it that's just yeah there's no lawns being mowed. there's yeah. a mower being seen but the lawns don't get any shorter yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah so yeah hey do we have a podcast so where are you guys at now like what what number episode you had or where what? we just did episode 144 wow you're getting close yeah. to me that's everything yeah amazing yeah and so so there's a little bit of, there's been a little bit of filibuster in there in that in our first year, we were doing twice a week. So we, we managed to clock a hundred episodes out of the first year. And then we, after, I think it was after a hundred episodes, we dropped back to one, one per week. So, but yeah. And, and where's it like, um, how's it evolved? Uh, so from where it began and what maybe you thought, I mean, it's interesting because you guys obviously are very well connected and entwined so, so i'm sure you had like and you probably are flowing together but like has it changed or what did you have an idea to start with has it we, changed we spent it probably changed? about three years getting stoned in the bath saying we should probably we should probably turn these conversations into a podcast we should do a podcast and we we actually recorded a couple i still have them they haven't i, I don't want to listen to them um but we we had this concept idea called in the bath <laughs> it was just yes. going to be we were going to say literally anything we wanted to and it was going to be anonymous and you wouldn't know who it was and i was going to slightly alter the pitch of our voices because we were going to talk about the fact that you know that we were high in the bath and um talk 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 shit about people <laughs> but not say their names and um <laughs> we did a couple of those and then we just kind of forgot about it uh and um man so much has happened but uh after i finished the psychotherapy training i opened up a private practice and I um, had a bunch of clients come through for about a year and a half. Um, And in that process, I realized that, so going back to Jungian, um, uh, Jungian modality again, uh, he has this process of individuation in which uh, essentially it's like, you don't, you don't know what song you like, you just heard one and realized that you already liked that one. You don't know what foods you do and don't like the taste of. You just try them and it's already been decided for you which ones you are and aren't going to like. They may not be the same ones as everybody else, but, you know, you're going through this process of, you know, trying to engage with every little aspect of what's going on inside of you so that you actually can build a decent data set of information on yourself so that you actually have some semblance of a chance of actually making a proper assessment about what do I actually like spending time on and how do I do more of that? 
and what kind of person would I need to be and what kind of relationships would I need to uphold around me in order to be able to do that without destroying everything. Um, because one of the main reasons people don't pursue what they want is because they don't know a way to do it without destroying everything. What will my dad think? What will my partner think? What will my kids think? What will, what will yeah, I think? For sure. Um, and I realized that I was doing this for people. I had people coming through and I was helping them discover, um, you know, they, they come in with, with this problem and then very quickly you, we would find out that it's not really that problem. It's, it's, it's deeper than that. And, um, you know, it, it's, you're not, you're not living in congruence with yourself. Um, not based off of my opinions, just based off of your un their unhappiness. Uh, and so we go through this process of trying to help them discover themselves and who they are. And I'm going to quit this job and I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to finish this study because it's actually, you know, it, it's not about finishing what you started. It's about, it's about starting what you care about, you know? And, and if you, yeah. if, if I got halfway through it to realize I needed to do something else, then that was the education. And I realized I was not living this way. Um, and I had completely walked away from music. I had gotten rid of every musical instrument that I, that I owned. I had believed that, that I was pursuing something that was at the cost of everything that I hold dear to myself and that it would, that I was too obsessed with it and that it wouldn't be possible for me to, to do it without destroying everything around me. Um, and like most therapists, I went and decided to become a therapist, not because it was something I really wanted to do, but because therapy was something I actually really needed. <laughs> and instead of getting it, I thought, well, I'll just go and learn how to do it. Um, and then I won't need it. Right. Um, wrong. And so <laughs> in order to become a therapist, I had to get therapy, uh, and, um, accidentally, um, by not trying to developed myself into a person that actually does have the um the relationship with myself necessary to pursue difficult things that are supposed to be pipe dreams and uh without destroying everybody i love's lives around me cool now as you were speaking about all that man i did um reflect on what i think is really amazing and this recent um so you've gone out and put out a crowdfunding thing for the release of the new album yeah mm -hmm. and that does come with an epic piece to your audience like yeah. a really no holding back like um letter i suppose or do you just does it feel like a letter yeah, yeah. Or for, what, what was it for you because it's very much an outpouring and it does seem to like i in reading it 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 had ebbs and flows or like it went like it's it's lengthy but as well i felt like it was yeah, like at, at different points, I felt closer. And then all of a sudden it sort of bubble up again. So you were sort of yeah. like taking us through your, because uh, I think you did refer to moments like this, like back what you were saying about when you sold all your instruments before, and yeah. you sort of tell yeah. the story there. And mm -hmm. um, yeah, how? <laughs> just talk to me about that. What is that? Where, and is that your, for, for your audience, was that, um, is that ability now, I guess, for you to be just that courageous and that just open? Um, is that, um, is that breakthrough? And is that, just tell um, me, I've got a lot of questions about it, obviously, but it's getting, it's getting easier. Uh, I didn't really answer the question properly before, but this does answer it in why, where did, the, where did the podcast come about? And it was basically that I, um, I, I, I unfortunately had a taste of the success in my music career 
in my early 20s that I was looking for. Um, and like I was saying before about, you know, that when people are at sort of like school leaving age in that sort of early, early sort of university college kind of age, age bracket. Um, and I was there when some of my dreams started coming true. Um, but I wasn't a fully, at least neurotypically developed person yet. So I just didn't know how to do those things. <sighs> my mind wasn't developed to a point beyond my ability to actually come to terms with the fact that even though I was doing the things that I wanted, the way in which I was presenting myself to go about doing those was all about impressing, not necessarily my father, but the father, you know, the, the archetypal father, the, the person that I'll be one day or the person that, that raised me, um, and is this impressive enough? Is that kind you know, of like, is, you know, are you winning at life kind of like a little bit, for lack of a better, I don't mean to make it sound too trite, but yeah, that kind of thing. Like, look, I am a success. I am a, um, yeah. this is worth it. Like, look, I'm worthy. This is it. You know? Yeah. Okay, yeah. How, so much, kind of, how many people I've impressed. You should be impressed too by, you know, extension. Yeah. You know, trying to impress them, trying to impress me. And um, I had some influences around me at the time as well that, um, had had more experience with notoriety, uh, and the, I guess I, I kind of looked up to them. And so what sort of rubbed off on me was like, there's the you that you give them, but never give them the whole you because they, they probably, and this was just through their experience, but I just didn't see it that way to sort of as wisdom. But, you know, if, if you give them the real you, they're probably not going to like it. And it's going to be just easier if there are certain things about yourself that are for you and certain things that aren't. And um, then the podcast kind of, like, you know, for, fast forward like eight, nine years from there, the podcast was kind of, I guess, like you said, this, this breakthrough thing of like, life is just way too short to not be able to say anything, even if it's an unpopular thing to say. Like faking I, yourself sort of thing. Yeah, life's too short. Like why? Sure. If I'm going to go to all of the trouble to take the risk of following a pipe dream, I might as well also take the risk of being 100% genuine while I do it. Why would I, why would I take such a risk and, and, and take a fake persona with me to do it? Do you think, um, look, I'm going to try and put a few things in here, man. And one is a, is a compliment that I hope you can, you know, let resonate with you. But um, for any listeners there who are not familiar with Projected Twins music, I mean, you were very, I think, successful or you had an awesome sound at, you know, a young age, like a very accomplished sound. And like for as well, I think what was your, say maybe some of your, you know, biggest influences or whatever, you really started hitting those those marks and like because that album's what in 2010 so you know over 10 years ago and you were however old what early 20s yeah and so yeah you know there's a high watermark for a young age and um do you suppose that that as well was part of the i guess what i'm gonna ask it, it, when talking about faking do you think that you were living up to something because at the same time you did have actually a reason to believe in yourself or buy you know you had a mm. reason to buy into your own shit because whether it's ego or what what not because no, you did actually have like, I think that level of accomplishment was there for your music. And I mean, I would have, if um, at the same time, whether I'd have been uh, making my own music to such a level or just 
been sort of around you, then I've still been like, yeah, no, you should take off. Think you're the best thing ever because that's, <laughs> you know, because how else can you carry on, you know, build that confidence or build, you know, want to build that fire even further. So, and whether that's yeah. just all folly of the ego, but yeah, that yeah. that's to me, I'm, I'm, when it comes to people and I suppose this world we live in with um Marketing I think that's one, the school thing as well. I think it's part of the school thing in that, in that um, like school was really interesting for me in that I was lucky that my high school was set up in a way that I actually really got to figure music out because of school. I had a good, good, not, not actually the lack of a music program was actually really helpful because it was wild, wild west in the music room but they had lots of equipment and they would let us use it. So me and my friends would hang out in there and instead of wagging school, we would, we would wag school, but stay in school and just hang out in the band room and just and not go to your lessons and play music instead. Yeah. 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 And awesome. I think, um, there's this, there's this, uh, and not even just artistic kids, intelligent kids. If you're a, if you, if you're a smart kid, you learn, not to put your hand up and answer the questions all the time, you know? And um, if you're the best, if you're the best drawer in the classroom, eventually you, you stop proudly parading your, your pictures because they get vandalized by the kids that aren't as good as you or whatever. And so you, you develop this sickness where um, you're not allowed to actually acknowledge you've done something well. And I'm just not about that anymore. Um, and I think, I think where I found difficulty with that earlier was, um, look, it doesn't uh, like, I don't think I'm the best. There's no shortage of people that, that I admire or wish, you know, I could have like just the smallest dose of what they have and, and what they, they make with it, you know, like I'm, I'm, I'm wowed all the time, but I'm also really, really good. And why shouldn't I know that? And why shouldn't hmm. I, why shouldn't I say that Absolutely. I've spent all this time on it to get it good. I like it. <laughs> that's good. I'm, yeah. I'm in full support. I mean, there's, yeah. you know, and, and that's where perhaps in, um, hopefully our conversation tonight, kind of, we can share that with one another, that understanding and being self-aware is a, a way to try to keep oneself in check but at the same time, also not be able to reflect and realize that it's okay to, Building confidence is a rocky road, a gravel, gravelly path, and and that, yeah. In the sharing, hopefully, we can um, sharing is caring, sharing <laughs> and is and, caring. and you know, people can care about what you do, whether you like it or not, man. Whether you think you're great, whether you don't think you're great, but if you do think you're great, you probably can offer even something more um, exceptional and of value to to those people who are really wanting to receive it. So. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think if, if it's coming from a place of care, you know, like I know it's really good because I cared about it for a really long time and got it there. I got it. I got it somewhere good because I really cared about what I was doing for a lot of, for, for many different reasons. Okay. So now I'm just going to flow into a, maybe a deeper big question, but for um, projected twin and like if it's the trilogy and whether, even if the, final you know the pieces that of the triptych or whatever is the beginning or the whatever again what's then can you tell us do you have anything already happening whether it's writing or projects or anything or do you 
what, what are you feeling if you don't have something already that you've got in mind like what's the, the next then? the next album is called white trash paradise really yeah how much is written what's, what's... uh probably about 80 percent wow sick oh, okay cool. Yeah. cool cool yeah Amazing. And it is like this album, this album, is, the, the current album that's coming out August 26th, uh, Earth Meat World, is kind of where um, I had this kind of like, I found myself in these playlists on Spotify and people have been dubbing it alt rock and they've been putting me in there with like Carnival and Dead Letter Circus and Cog and um, this kind of Australian renaissance of like alternative prog. Um, Whether it's just my opinion or not, that that's not a bad thing. <laughs> no, I'm happy with that. Thing. I'm yeah, that's happy a, to be invited to that party. That, Absolutely. Yeah, yeah totally. Um, very happy with that. Um, this album has a lot. So it has a lot of where uh, it has definitely, it's not disconnected from from where my music was before, but I think I've brought in some, probably some more modern influences, even some kind of like R and B. And, um, even though people will be like, what, what does he mean? Um, I would even say even kind of like dance sort of EDM, whatever, but it's all live drums. It's all guitars. It's all epic, big, you know, soaring vocals and stuff like that. But there's just some other things that I've, that I've, cool. that I've brought in there. Um, and so this one kind of sets a mood. I very much like albums that sort of happen stylistically in twos. Um, and so this album, even though it's completing this trilogy, it's kind of starting a conversation that the next one will finish. And the next one is very much so about showing off. It's all about showing off. Okay. And Watch being out. totally shameless. So... I said on the on our podcast a little while ago, um, uh, we had a guest on. His name was Adam, and he was asking me a similar question. And I said, I think I am about to enter territory in the nearest future, if not already, where I'm going to become less and less relatable. <laughs> well, you're becoming some like far out creature of uh you know extraterrestrial or do you do you just yeah yeah definitely yeah a white white a, a white trash paradiso <laughs> okay that's an extraterrestrial so <laughs> the question i had before though was wondering as far as the sonic sort of qualities the sounds um from yeah what you you know newly get or about to be released to then yeah something moving on so you think that it's actually these flowing on those that's conversations that are starting now with this one that is yeah, somewhat because- some of the turning of a page of like 10 years later, but then yeah. the, what you're moving on to. Cool. Well, there's this, there's this flow state effect where like, cause I said before, even though, even though the albums in the past were, were, um, and I'm always a developing person. We all, we all are, you know, until we, until you sort of take your last breath. Um, uh, even though the previous two albums were, developed by me when I was probably a lot more naive about what I thought I was writing about and, you know, what I thought was important to say. Um, but I kind of, um, in, in that sort of habit that I have of not really putting as much preparation 
or thought into the specific details into things as I feel like I'm supposed to um, and have somehow managed to keep getting away with that. Um, would write things kind of like coming up with the name Projected Twin where years later I would listen back and realize that in some ways I was writing premonitions about my own Prescient. life. Yeah, yeah. So I, I, I was looking back over the lyrics of one of the, of one of the older albums, which I, I kind of thought was just like, jumbo lyrics oh this sounds cool together um but it actually speaks to me now it was some sort of some sort of meditation came to pass sort of thing yeah 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 i was talking about myself but i was talking to future understand at the time yeah you were speaking to your projected twin yes yeah yeah were we it's epic cool now, man, as we go, you know, we're getting deeper in this convo, but let's, um, let's take a random tangent. Um, and these will be questions. There's some themes in this podcast that I'll like try to touch on with um, all the varying guests that we're going to have on, but this one, what's like a lesser known part of your journey in life or an interest that, you know, you would want to just talk about? maybe with something your fans could relate to or something that is completely irrelevant to your fans and people would be like, what? Okay. Well, I, the two things I have been dabbling in stand up comedy and I'm a huge nerd. I love comic book, uh, everything, everything, comics, everything, comic books. I don't have time to read comics anymore, but there's just so many movies coming out now. So that's, that's fine. That's has me satiated for sure. So, so I'm not like massive into it, but are you like then a Marvel or a DC guy? Is that a thing? Do people I love choose it one all. or the other? Is it I like Holden Ford? Or, no, so you love it all. Yeah. It, it is very, it is like that. It is really like that. But I, I like, I like them all, you know, like if it's, it's comic, it's comic books. I want them all. I want them all to do well. I want them all to be great. Marvel stuff is better, but not because, not, not because that's how I want it. You know, I, I feel like, I feel like if, if, if DC was had making better stuff, I'd know. <laughs> you don't have an actual allegiance, like a, a parochial or. <laughs> nah, I just like good story. So where'd that begin? What's, what's the earliest one you can remember? Of, like a comic? Uh, well, I learned to read because of comics. So I, I, I was kind of similar to, um, uh, to my son. Um, I was reading all the time, just never what anybody wanted me to read, which only made me feel guilty about what I was reading and made me feel less like reading what I was being told to read, which at the end of the day, that equals less reading. Um, so I don't think that's great. Um, so yeah, so if, I think I learned majority of, um, of, uh, I think I developed myself as a person by reading comics growing up because as I grew, so did the maturity level of what I was reading. And it just so turned out that, um, you know, that uh, I wasn't going to outgrow comics because they make them for adults too. So. So, so take us through some. So what's one from when you were like super young or like something you can remember from the beginning days and then something that as you've gotten older that you still, you're like, wow, this is still really got me or like it's pretty relevant well, in your life. All your classics, you know, I loved, I loved Batman. Um, I, I, I watched the Michael Keaton movies just a million times and I was obsessed 
obsessed with that and Christopher Reeve Superman. So I, um, I didn't know what comic books were at first. Um, I just came across these, they, they would just put them in like, in the, like the Royal Adelaide show bags. And I'd realize that, Oh my, like there's Superman is, is, is a, is a comic and Batman and Spider-Man is a comic. Oh, okay. That's like, that's where these, they that's where these come from sort of thing. Um, and yeah, so like spent a l many years hanging out with Spider-Man. Spider-Man was kind of like my best friend growing up because like I was, I think I said earlier that it, uh, I don't know if it was bef before we started recording or not, but that, that how I'm coming across to people in hindsight is always going better than I thought it was at the time. And so I wasn't the coolest person in school, um, but looking back, I was a bit like more popular and kind of, um, I guess, grounded in somehow, well, somehow people I did stayed like you, the kids zone. did like you. <laughs> yeah. Kids liked me. They did like me. Um, like the good kid, the naughty kids liked me and the goofy kids liked me. Um, and I and could kind of cool hang out with whoever I wanted to sort of thing, but because, because I fit in with everyone, I didn't feel like I fit in with anyone. And so Spider-Man, he was a, he was a, like an outcast and a loner. And I always felt like that, um, there was something, and this is very megalomaniacal, but I always felt like there's just a, something a little bit special about me. And, um, there was something a little bit special about Peter Parker, but he couldn't tell anyone, you know? And I was like, I, I can't tell anybody. Like I've, I know I've got, I know I've got this, this, this stuff inside me, but I can't tell anyone about it. It's, it's a secret. Do you feel like you just, you were destined one day to get a, you know, all in one suit and just, you know, just fling around your neighborhood, fantasize. making the world a better place. Oh, yeah, I totally did. I used to fantasize about having powers and just beating up kids at school i didn't like all the time i loved thinking about that <laughs> it does sound like very much a childhood thought not, not, not yeah, altogether, yeah not altogether heroic but i'll turn into a wolf because i'll have shape-shifting powers and i'll scare the bullies amazing mm -hmm. cool cool so um uh where are we um What's the other, like when you, when you said um, a lesser known thing, you talked about uh, stand-up comedy. So this is yeah, something yeah. that's just a much more recent development. Yeah. And yeah. how's that gone? I and I really wanted to get it. down. I really wanted to come and have a look. So next, like whenever it's going to happen, I want to see it. Like I think in a way, because I think it's something I'd want to challenge myself at doing, but at the same time, it's, it's as an art form, it really is out there in a, in almost its own realm is uh it's that knife edge <laughs> how'd it I, go for you what's the i when if when it's something that i really like if i really like something i can't help but figure out how it works and i have always loved comedy and stand-up comedy specifically um but just was way too committed in um music um to uh, i just never 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 pursued it in any way because i just didn't want to start another thing i knew that i especially back then when i was younger um all through school people people before people had any idea that i had any musical talent everybody thought i was going to be a stand up 
comedian. I was class clown. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's the thing that I would hear most, but I really loved music, but I just didn't have the courage to tell anybody that. So I'd just be the funny kid instead. Um, and didn't really, didn't really sort of engage with being the music kid properly, probably until sort of later, later in high school. So before that, I was just the funny guy. Um, and so I've always like had an interest in comedy and it doesn't matter whether it's like a, a comic books, like I've, I taught myself how to draw or, you know, teach myself how to play guitar or teach myself how to write songs or play drums. Or if I can see somebody do it enough times, and especially somebody that I'm inspired by something in the back of my head starts putting it together. And so I had a friend, I have a friend, um, who is dabbling in stand up, and he's been sort of, um, t trying it out and, and sort of just sort of trying to build up that onstage resilience over the last couple of years. And so I've been going to watch him. And then I started going to a few open mic nights. Um, and by watching, because I have an interest in comedy, so I've, I've seen all of the greats, but now I was seeing all these people starting out. And so I knew what the greats were doing and I knew what these people that were starting out were doing and what things I was seeing them doing that I wouldn't do. Like, oh, I wouldn't try, wouldn't try that, you know? Yeah, um, sure. And also, again, uh, always maintaining a level of underpreparedness. So, you know, I didn't, I didn't rehearse. I didn't write out sort of what I was going to say. I would maybe just I'd make these little memos in my phone and just be like, um, premise and maybe just four words that if I look at those four words immediately, a minute and a half of material, this just starts monologuing in my head. And so I was, instead of rehearsing or writing this stuff out, uh, rewinding back a little bit, the, um, the guy that was giving my mate some spots. I started speaking to him and hanging out with him a little bit. And then I just thought, fuck it. I'll, I'll tell him that I'm interested in doing it. Um, and he doesn't run an open mic night thing, but he does this awesome thing at um, Crown and Anchor called Cranker Comedy. Yeah, it's yeah. on Tuesday nights. Uh, and I know Ross Foss. He's a, he's a great guy. Ross. Yeah. He's, he's awesome. So he, he puts on these nights where you will see like 20 comedians. They'll do some are doing three minute spots, some doing five minute spots. Um, but there's usually two professional headliners and then a mixed bag of people that are just starting out, have maybe had a little bit of experience or sort of intermediate or whatever, and you never know what you're going to get sort of thing. So you'll see somebody do something really polished and then you'll see somebody like really figuring it out sort of thing. Um, and he took a chance on me and gave me a spot and I told him it's going to be really dark stuff. Um, just warning you. And so he put me on very late in the, in the proceedings to kind of let people settle in a little bit. And I just go up there and say things my mum probably wishes I wouldn't say. Okay. And so I'm guessing you're not inviting mum along to your um, stand up beginnings. N well, I would. Do you think I'd she ever would <laughs> maybe come along, to, whether it's in the beginnings or the more evolved? <laughs> so. Um, I don't know. So I accident, I accidentally did a really good job, really good polished job, no prep, just, cool. just figured it out. Um, and I think 
all of, I think the main experience came from like emceeing weddings or whatever, you know, so I've spent a lot of time with crowds. I've been building up my between song banter just to entertain myself in a lot of ways um, to get through some, some, some nights, some nights you have to entertain yourself because you're certainly not entertaining anybody else. <laughs> and like you've just been coming up with these zingers, have you? Just, <laughs> talking just a little to- bit. In between songs into the mic, you've just hit, had a few zingers and you're like, hang on, this should actually. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And this so is, I just went there and went, winged it. Yeah, great. And it worked. So, yeah. um, what's some of the influences there, though? And you talk about, you know, you've seen the greats and whatever. Where, where's your uh, fire sort of kindled, started with the comedy side? Like, what I really, really, you know? Took notice of stand up in a big way back when I saw like delirious and raw by Eddie Murphy. Yeah, sure. Um, when I was younger, younger teenager friend of mine, he had, he had Foxtel. So he, he taped it off a of Foxtel or something. And we watched delirious and raw. Like, oh my God. I can't believe he's saying that. Oh my God. Um, and, um, I like, I like silly stuff as well. So I really loved like Lena and Woodley growing up as a kid. And I went and saw Carl Barron a couple of times and he just does like, and I'm kind of kind of see myself in this like cute, but highly inappropriate sort of thing here. So somewhere, somewhere between Eddie Murphy and Carl Barron, like a, a bit silly, but like, oh, wow. He really did say that. Um, yeah, cool. I wonder how he feels now. <laughs> And what, what do you reckon about, I mean, this could be a long discussion in and of itself, but of contemporary, um, the world at large, but as well in a field such as comedy about the uh, political correctness and um, say what's I think considered like classical comedy from the past now being so utterly inappropriate and mm. um, whether things that were said in the past are merely anachronisms or, you know, do you think that, something can still be funny are you still allowed to laugh at something that was said 40 years ago 50 years ago 20 years i was actually watching bill hicks again just the other day and um apparently i mean he's a misogynist pig but uh like this is is one still able to laugh at something as sensibilities change especially in a field of comedy where is, is it not meant to be challenging and is it not meant to be as well um defying those sort of I think it depends on whether you're laughing at it because you agree with it or if you're laughing at it because like some things are funny, some inappropriate things I think are funny because when we, we know we're not supposed to agree with that. We know that that is like horrible. I think also with like, like going out even outside of the, the paradigm of, of comedy and just like just general social discourse uh, we're at this like critical mass point where ultimately I think what we're, what we're working towards <laughs> in this unprepared way, kind of like, cause I, I kind of see there's this, this collective unconscious, right. But I also see this collective conscious too, because you, if you think about, if you zoom out and think about like the, the earth as like a singular thing, 
um, and you've got all of the nasty. That's not a very good analogy. That's getting really messy. Um, but I kind of feel like ideas, ideas control things more so than individual people do and ideas collect people. Um, and some of the ideas that collect up people uh, are able to sometimes put large quantities of people in enough of a state of fear that maybe they do something that's kind of getting in other people or other ideas ways. And when those ideas clash, Sometimes they can resolve and assimilate or other times they battle it out to see which one is the winning idea. But ultimately, in, in, in an exponential way, these ideas that have been floating around, some not for very long and some for very long time, are getting to a critical mass point where all the ideas have maybe actually hurt each other's feelings enough that we maybe actually can evolve to this point where... Um, Words are just that and that actually nothing's really offensive. Like everybody kind of freaks out sometimes that they feel like everything's going in this like demolition man, um, uh, just like super glazed over everything's nice. Uh, we don't, we don't do or say anything. Disengaged or yeah. Yeah, you know, we 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 move into this world where everything's like a shade of grey, and we don't ex we don't express anything for the fear that it may make anybody else feel like they've got less of anything. Um, you know, it's not a well. Good, that that's where I'm coming from when I asked the question initially. Yeah, is is yeah. that a place where we should be? Like, as far as like looking back to comedy in the past. So, if um, something is is offensive now, and in the past it it was still offensive, but there's something about contemporary present day that is no you shouldn't you shouldn't be even allowed to say it shouldn't be allowed to even watch it even though it, was, it already exists you know and that's what i'm wondering do you think comedy still has the place though to be challenging without contravening you know some kind of morally sacrilegious or sacrosanct realm i think know? if you don't let the professionals do it regardless of whether we think the regardless of whether we're overly happy with what professional people are saying and why professional people i mean if somebody stands up in front of a large crowd of a large number of people and they say things and everybody laughs at that and they have this experience where and like i said like they're not everybody laughs at it not because like yeah it's not this like pile on um let's all let's all point and laugh and persecute somebody but we're we're laughing at just the absurdity of the statement that's being said um i'm, I'm losing my point a little bit but um, oh yeah you want to leave it to the professionals so um if the professionals are getting up there and people are having a good time and then they go home and nobody hurts anybody and and uh and and maybe they even learn something then that's good but if we get to this point where we where we where we decide what can and can't be art then the professionals stop doing it and then the amateurs do it in they take it to the they take it to another extreme if you do not if you do not allow because i feel like that comedy is is the collective consciousness or unconsciousness unconsciousnesses um uh sense of self-awareness 
you know I it's, feel, well, it's, I, I wonder what you're saying about say that non-professionals are doing i think there's much more chance for danger and inflammatory results you know than yeah say, do you want like, people standing up on stage saying the embarrassing thing or do you want it like spray painted down the streets yeah. of every like but, major but what about street? people you know having a bit of a you know oh i'm being hurt by dave Chappelle or something I mean, Dave Chappelle couldn't, I don't think there could be a more professional comic just because he so doesn't give a shit and is so wanting yeah. to be in the moment. And he's, he's embodying to me what it takes to, you have to be present enough, but as well able to not be attached to the shit to be able to say some of the shit that he says, but then there's still a, you know, a chastisement or this is not, that's not okay. And yeah. Yeah, I just find that such a, yeah, difficult. Yeah. Difficult. I don't think that's ever going to go away. I don't think that's going anywhere. I think that's it's, it's going to maintain that. One thing that hasn't changed though is that it hasn't slowed any of it down. You know, like the 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 less edgy we try and make things, the more edgy entertainment becomes because you you yeah, you create a need, you create a need for something, especially. So uh, um, I have a friend uh, who was living in Indonesia, uh, and in this particular region of Indonesia, it was punishable by death if you're found with alcohol. And because he um, uh, had grown up in in a Western culture, it had just been a right of his and his his colleagues that were working together in Indonesia at the time that uh, we have a right to have access to alcohol. And these guys weren't big drinkers, but then they found themselves um, doing these incredibly shady deals where they would have like, they'd be going down to the beach and having polystyrene like boxes float over to the shore and they'd get, you know, ridiculous copious amounts of alcohol, um, literally putting their lives at risk if they get caught with this stuff and then drinking it in just an insanely short amount of time. These guys didn't have an alcohol problem beforehand or anything, but purely because they were told that they are no longer allowed to do what they used to be able to do, they did it a shit ton more. And I, that, that's, that's humankind. Yeah, it sort of resulted in an actual more destructive almost manifestation. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. You know, so the things, the thing, it, like, we go through this whole thing of like, we can't say that you can't do that. And we, 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 we can't use um, this and, and that's too sharp and, and whatever uh, it, the, the very thing that we are running to the rescue to prevent you're amplifying always. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'd wonder um, in contemporary world society, the uh, fact of something like a Twitter that look, I've never been on Twitter. So, mm -hmm. but probably will soon enough because you know this podcast will surely be. I don't go there. It doesn't sound uh, safe. Yeah, well, but isn't that the place where the actual uproar occurs? But as well, it's the place where the um, most volatile or, or harsh, like needless, needless like cruelty occurs. Isn't isn't that? Yeah, is that the realm of Twitter? Like, so that's the place no where you say Dave Chappelle to me hurt well. me today because his job is to say challenging, confronting things, and he did, and it hurts. And isn't that the same place <laughs> that it's like I'm gonna, you know, whether it's racist, like you know, racial, like outright cruel, like you mm. know, disgusting things, like someone's had some personal, you know, horrible thing happen, and so someone on Twitter can actually abuse in that particular way like that seems the the idea that people should 
or, or that a perception could exist that it makes sense to be more precious mm. just seems just completely missing the point to me because the I more- think people get a dependency. They get a dependency on it because um, it's way, it's way easier to be heaps. So you're not on Twitter? You've never been, never been on Twitter? I've, I've been on Twitter. I had a Twitter back in the early, early days and I had a pretty, I had a decent following on there, but I just never, I'm way too much of an exhibitionist to um, only be allowed to post that many words at a time. Sure. And so <laughs> Facebook. Characters even, isn't it? 400. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, character count. It was like 140. Yeah. Or maybe it started with 90. I don't know. It was really small, but it just wasn't enough for me. And so, um, and Facebook had the same thing. You have people like, you know, these massive Facebook rants. And for a little while there, I don't know if it doesn't happen as much as it used to, or if I just don't engage in it the same way as I used to. But I just remember there was a real sort of golden era between like, tw- like 2010, 2015, where scrolling through your Facebook newsfeed, you could just see all of these people and, and keeping in mind that back then I was still still fig- fighting it out and figuring it out in my 20s and still projecting onto all of the people in the world that are older than me that like they've got it, you know, they, they just know things that I know, that I don't know. You know, they've got stuff together that I just haven't put together. Treasure trove of information. You'd realize that's not true because you would by 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 witnessing these weird arguments with either other family members or complete strangers that they would have on Facebook and just the depth like not knowing that like everything that they're typing is being displayed for everyone they know to see you know like commenting on someone else's post you might as well post it yourself it's going to be broadcast to everybody you know and my god um but Twitter and, and the same thing with Facebook, people need it, man. They need it. You, the drug that you get addicted to says something about the, the hole that you need to fill and angry people are angry at the world outside because they're very angry at themselves. And if you've got this place that you can visit all day, every day long, where you can find someone that's way more fucked than you are, then, um, then that, that, that's great for me. Yeah. I'll keep going back there because that person makes me feel like a decent person. Mm-hmm. Mm. Uh, so I just um, brought up, you know, something that we sort of, well, I think uh, bypassed before and that is um, the psychedelics and, and treatment. Did you yeah. have, um, you know, much research into that, that you um, uh, could sort of yeah, shed some light onto for us or uh, anything specifically as like as my wife has. So Nick, okay. Nick, um, she has the psychology background, which is science-based, um, whereas psychotherapy um, is more—it's more woo-woo. It is psychotherapy is is woo-woo storyteller stuff, but I like it. Um, you know, maybe it's magic, maybe it isn't. It's helpful. That's all that really matters. If it helps, then you know yeah, the rest is, is your choice. Um, so she, uh, just quickly, my wife was sexually abused between the age of six and 11 by her at the time stepfather. And um, that was just the tip of the iceberg in terms of the neglect and abuse and just environment that she was in for the majority of her formative years as a human being on the planet. And it left her in a pretty... 
um, fragile, a broken way. Um, and she went and did all of the classic things, um, you know, and ended up on classic, um, sort of SSRIs and antidepressants and antipsychotics and, you know, just more and more things to, to numb the pain, to quieten mm. the memories. Um, and I had had a little bit of experience overseas in my very early twenties with LSD. Mm -hmm. And I was one of those kids. I was the type of kid that really believed in magic as a kid, really believed in it, never saw it. You know, my parents took me to see David Copperfield when I was very young. And I just want, I just needed to believe that there was more than just the rules, the rules of gravity, the rules of, you know, that no one's invincible, the rules of, you know, there is no real magic. Um, and I had pretty much come around to like just full blown atheism. Um, at one point, you know, it, I wanted to believe in magic so much that I was like, um, so easily talked into going to church groups and this church group and that church group and whatever, because Jesus was kind of magic too, you know? So like he's practically a magician. So if these people are believing this, then they are affirming magic to me. And that is a place I want to be. Um, and, uh, so then has so eventually became totally disenfranchised with the idea that magic exists and then found LSD. And then I knew magic does exist can i just ask is that, is that word magic maybe interchangeable somewhat with miracles are they almost yeah, are they one of the just, same or well, they... just, just more than this more than what we see more than what we see more than what um because well, in the christian we... sense jesus literally yes does did do miracles and hence yeah. if a miracle is magic he's absolutely a magician and and yeah you know bona fide that's was what that was his thing a magic wow, man that's so many people got around him he's doing all the miracles and that yeah i don't want to get i don't want to follow that the, the magic guy <laughs> for sure hang out with a magic guy if, if back then of course i would yeah um and so and then lsd experience yeah How's yeah yeah so I, I tried lsd and that was just for fun um but um i knew that that was very interesting and it was kind of like a well the doors the doors of perception were blown mm -hmm. open and um i didn't know anything about lsd or drugs or you know by uh, up until that point i had only uh I, I i used to drink a lot and smoke lots of weed but in a lot of the places that i was performing or doing these long-term residencies and contracts in some of the countries i was in you know drinking was all you could all you could do and the only reason i think i drank a lot and, and when I say a lot I mean like shitting blood a lot um Damn. was because uh weed was so hard to come by I was never really an alcohol guy um so I didn't know anything about drugs and I you know had all of the same sorts of fears that everybody else has that if I if I do you know LSD that I've permanently done something to my brain that's like irreparable I've done some form of irreparable damage and so I'd go and try, and but I heard the same thing about weed, you know. Um, funny thing was, was that um, alcohol does do that. It, it demonstratively destroys brain cells. That's actually, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, 
And uh, so I believed all of this stuff, you know, that I was doing terrible things myself, but well, I tried weed and nothing bad happened and, and actually kind of some, some good things happened. So that was weird. Um, and then I tried this LSD thing and, um, you know, I, I was kind of a little bit worried that, you know, maybe something bad, but actually, actually some really good things happened. And so I don't know, I don't know about that. And I wonder what else, you know, I don't know about much. Um, and I was driving to a gig once and I accidentally stumbled upon a podcast by Duncan Trussell and he had Rick Doblin <laughs> on. Um, and he was talking about MDMA assisted psychotherapy and he was talking about trauma cause I didn't know, I was still doing my psychotherapy training at this point. So I hadn't quite developed my, um, an education around neurodevelopment or what happens with trauma, um, and, and how PTSD, um, affects the brain and, and in what ways and what, in, in what functions it's actually hijacking and how and why and, um, you know, why people have these, these, these flashbacks, you know, when they're essentially, um, the brain, uh, protects itself from engaging consciously with the trauma it's experiencing so that you don't just completely just flip out and die on the spot. Cause it's just too much for you emotionally. But what the repercussion of that is, is that moment kind of gets frozen in time in the mind. And unfortunately the event that that person was able to black out of at the time, they're now in some ways permanently experiencing later on in life. Yeah. You know, so, so I'm listening to this podcast and this was at a point in time where Neeks, um, you know, I, uh, had since come home, stopped working overseas and it took a little while, but I built up a number of, um, agents and, and gigs and whatever around Adelaide. And so I was, you know, most weekends gone sort of at seven and back at one or two in the morning sort of thing. And, um, you know, Neeks would be in bed panicking, about the idea that someone was just going to boot the door in and do any number of obscene things to everyone mm. in the house. Um, and she was falling apart and I, it's totally inappropriate and not what you're supposed to do, but, um, what else was I going to do? I thought I was going to lose her. Um, she thought she was going to lose herself. She didn't want to live. That's for sure. Um, and so we were just thought, well, fuck it. I'm, I'm a psychotherapist. You're going and getting therapy. Um, he's a decent therapist. He doesn't have to know what you're doing, but let's try this. And we did. And, um, like an actual miracle, she was one day a person with PTSD and then one day she wasn't. And so, sorry, this was, but you went and had LSD together. Is that what you? Yeah. So we did some LSD together. Uh, we, we started out, we did, we did some MDMA together and that MDMA. was amazing. Gotcha. That was more so helpful to me in that it allowed me to have this weird experience where Nix, <laughs> Nix is, is unique in that it doesn't matter what she's taken or, or how it's meant to affect her. If you're not meant to be able to fall asleep on this stuff, she can. Um, and so, which means that at some, at a certain point in time, I'm left having the experience on my own cause she's fallen asleep. Sure. And so we do MDMA and this was at this crisis point in our relationship. We'd practically broken up. She'd essentially kicked me out and rightly so. Um, I was not a helpful man and, um, 
as a last resort, we tried this MDMA together. She had a really nice time and we really connected, but then she fell asleep and I just caught myself with myself looking at her. And I had this weird, very um, clear conversation with two elements of myself where it was almost like this more benevolent voice, which happened to be mine, but spoke to myself with an air of care and empathy that I wouldn't normally approach myself with because I was actually really horrible to myself. Self-critical. In my head for things that I had, you know, done that I should have been disappointed in, but was too wrapped up in my own self-pity and despair to realize that, um, that the way I was punishing myself was only making me behave worse. Uh, and I had this moment where this voice that was mine came over me and, and kind of reasoned with me and was like, you, you, you don't want to lose this person. Um, but you've actually, you've got to stop being in her way. She has work to do now. She has, she, she is about to face some really tough stuff. And this was kind of briefly before her PTSD had really sort of taken hold of her. She wasn't suicidal at this point, but funnily enough, not long after the MDMA session in which I had managed to flick this switch in my head where I had just decided I'm not going to be in this person's way like I have been anymore. Mm -hmm. I'm going to work with this person. I know I'm so close to losing my wife and this life where I see my kids every day that you know, I need to do something else. Um, and I woke up the next day and I just didn't put myself in her way again, but doing that allowed her to have a sense of security and stability in me in which it was now safe for her to completely fall apart because she had just been holding herself together through trauma for so long. Um, and that, dealing with me was so much work that she still didn't have, have time to properly, um, I guess, get to know what was happening inside of her. Um, and so once I was out of her way, then she really fell apart. Then you we tried just, some LSD. Can you articulate just a little bit more that um, in getting out of her way, you mean practically speaking as in the... I have to stop making this woman responsible for raising me the rest of the way. Yeah. So you were an extra sort of thing as well, because obviously you had you know, three kids. <laughs> she had four children. Yeah. 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 Okay. Them and me. Yeah. And and do you mean that too, in respect to say your relationships, so your relationship as lovers, as partners, that that was also like an, an a big element of that. You mean? Or? We've yeah, like we've always been best friends. We've always had this amazing friendship, um, and um, but in I just. Um, yeah, I just couldn't see, I just couldn't see beyond myself. It wasn't that I didn't care about people. I cared about people a lot. I just cared about what was going on with me way more. Um, and that doesn't mean I stopped caring about myself. Like I didn't, I didn't flick a switch and then put everybody else before me and me last sort of thing. But I, I think what I managed to do was even the, even the playing field I made myself more like a other person that I have to 
contend with and I made everybody else a little bit more like me, mm -hmm. I guess. Stop maybe just, I guess, referring to everything being referential to you as the center point sort of thing more. Yeah. Even though I totally am. Yeah. Well, we all yeah. are, no doubt. I think it's a yeah. Yeah, fundamental kind of factor of this your reality. Um, amazing, bro. Let's like, and, and asking the, the question of how you can articulate getting out of the way is there, is there ways you can explain further how you guys these days? Because I think your story is um, clearly one of a whole lot of overcoming, you know, challenges and learning and, and whatnot. But as well, you seem to have been studying and having practical sort of skills and ways that you, you can work and understand yourselves and yeah, I suppose support one another. How, what do you do like day to day in ways that like you think fortify you and um, you know, it, as that's in you, yourself personally, but your family too. And, and Neeks obviously with her like experiences. I mean, if you've had breakthroughs in the, um, the sense of say psychedelics, are they, are they, yeah. Well, what's your day to day life like in the, what things can you, you say keep you going day to day in a yeah, solidifying or daily practice kind of thing? Um it's it's that's it's 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 probably more difficult now, even though it's going really well, it's probably more difficult now than it used to be because we've put ourselves in an interesting scenario in which in our house everything happens everything happens like we 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 uh we work here we learn here we eat here we sleep here we make mess here um and we have we have a pretty small house um and we we've kind of um it's almost like we've fallen off the calendar you know because nobody Nobody in the house has um, this set routine or like they have routine, but you know, like there's no difference between Monday and Sunday or, you know, Wednesday and Saturday. Your own like little world all, there. That sounds kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah. So we, we, we live, we live in a weird little bubble. And so every day we get to the end of the day and we start the next day and it all kind of feels the same, but we're so busy and we don't make really any money doing it, but we feel very fulfilled in all of these little tangents that we go on from day to day that by the end of a week, when we remember that it's been one, we kind of look back at all of the new stuff that we made um, that wasn't made before. Um, so I guess what keeps me going is taking a minute to look, to stop and look back, I guess. Um, and we are in a, I guess, a unique time in which, because we all have, you know, most, most people, if they choose to, everybody varies, but we all have this really big digital footprint. Um, and you know, there's, uh, so many crumbs that we leave behind. So you really can see where you came from. Um, and so that, I think that, that definitely keeps us going is, 
is taking a minute to sort of stop and just kind of like look look back at the last five days because I can watch most of it. Something in buildings as well, you mean like in that kind of way? Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's like we're, we're, we just spend every day writing the story a little bit, I guess. Yeah, nice. Yeah. Cool. Well, maybe that man leads us into tie back into as we get began with you coming on here bro projected twin you do have a new album that is coming out soon well august 26th i believe is the, the date you gave me yep. yeah cool and you do have this um crowdfunding um initiative thing going as well so about the release so yes. where, where can people go for that is it just a yeah like, what's, um, what's the link they... what's the look up Probably the best place to go uh, to get to get everything and to listen to some 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 cool new stuff uh, would be projectedtwin.bandcamp.com. On there, you can listen to the first track that I've put out for the album. It's called Migrate, and I put that out. Um, I think late last night or very early this morning and um, lots of people have been enjoying that. So that's nice. I've been getting Brand some great feedback there. Um, but also on that page uh, is a link to the GoFundMe campaign. Uh, and that's just basically, um, there was, there's a small handful of people that have been involved on and off on this, on this album. And they come from different kind of walks of life in the music industry and have different connections, et cetera, and different experiences and wisdoms that they share with me. And so a lot of them have been trying to talk me into trying to approach labels to try and get some help with distribution and mm -hmm. and things like that um and uh i won't give it away too much but there's a big spiel uh in the big spiel on the gofundme page there's a there's a there's a few um there's a few bars in there about why i don't really see the record label thing being a viable thing for me on on a personal level and an artistic level um but ultimately um uh if i if i was to sign with a label of any kind it would just be to try and use some of their money and their their resources which would maybe potentially um compromise um the thing that i'm given to people yeah. and so i've taken the um shameless no no what is it no shame i have no shame and so I have just, instead of trying to hook up with a label, I've just asked a bunch of strangers to help fund the distribution and manufacturing of the album instead. Which I do think I fully hear there as far as the only real practicality, it seems these days with a, anything like a record label is, I mean, on a global stage, you're just talking about promotion, really. The physical mm -hmm. um, distribution is not really a thing that, uh, you know, we're talking the upper most echelons of music that it's mm -hmm. just promotion so how much you're going to be placed in whatever whether it's um sinking on tv or whatnot but mm -hmm. yeah i do think then on the next sort of layers down on that 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 music shit show cake um that is the industry uh the, the uh yeah i think you're right like that basically the only thing a label really functions as is the distribution and whatever so yeah I think that practical you see that Jimmy Fallon is trying to use the exact same platforms that, that you and I are to get people to continue watching their show. You realize that, well, I have access to all these same tools. Uh, it just takes a little bit of time 
time to learn them and and a bit of money to to back them a little bit um but if you can if you can get that there's 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 no audience you can't expose yourself to that any of the big players are also exposing themselves to mm. um and then i also you know i think at a time when two of the biggest recording artists on the entire planet have dropped their labels and it's the world's biggest record label and they're saying that their music runs at a loss purely because it's propped up by an entire corporation that needs to pay hundreds and hundreds of people for doing um, doing a job that maybe 10 can do. Yep. Well, that's the, um, yeah, the, the strange, I think, reality that's been in the world since, since the, the internet has become out the, the most fundamental interactive source that a, an industry like music has just had its whole yeah. kit and caboodle uh, yeah. upturned and and the the funny thing is those that are trying to like the, the dinosaurs of the music industry that basically still be attempting to control well, i see and... i got involved in the internet because i thought because at the time as well because this is like this is like very early days facebook i'm talking so you know transitioning from myspace to the facebook days but um um ah shit completely forgot what i was talking about it's okay i'll just um, talk about that what about that great meme of that um what happened to myspace tom meme we just need to just think about that for a little bit oh yeah what, did what, a, what a guy oh, yeah. was it tom was that his name i hope i'm right myspace tom yeah <laughs> was it, it was him wasn't it yeah get you, if was, you don't know this then yours were born in something something he, MySpace Tom's way cooler than Mark Zuckerberg, though. I think he's way cooler. MySpace Tom's like he's like he's like I think it, his display picture. He's like a like a frat party dude. I can't remember. It was he was the, Justin Timberlake was the, or something. The thumb over his shoulder, looking over his shoulder, and yeah, giving you the thumbs yeah. up. Yeah, that's yeah. the meme. And it's like if you know this guy, then yeah, you are something something. That's right. Oh, no, kind of say. like a '90s kids will know this. Yeah, sorry, go. You see, you found your train of thought. There you go. I so found it. Bad. I found it. I found it. Yeah, I, I got, I started using the internet because I thought, I saw it as an opportunity to build a fan base and then use that as a way to get in the back door of what was media at the time, not realizing that like 15 or so years later that I was actually laying foundations for what is media. What's the front door? <laughs> yeah, it's the front What's door. The yeah, only I door? thought I was I What's thought I was revolving? doing this sneaky thing that didn't really mm. count and and then accidentally laid foundations for right now the only thing that counts. It is cool observing you like you have an audience there and I think you you know interact with it in an organic kind of way but as well in that you are still in the sphere where some people come across you and just think of you as the, the amazing, you know, that's the guy that's projected twin. Like, you know, that's that music that I've like, you know, got grown an attachment to. And, and I think you still sort of give that, like you honor that kind of paradigm as well as just have a natural organic, you know? Yeah. Well, it's all part of the, it's all part of the projected twin thing. You know, it's not, it's, it's, it's not my business if they think I'm way cooler than I really am. You know, I'm not, you didn't prepare it or you just fell over and the awesome albums came out. You're just like, you rocked up. You've basically forgot your guitar. You couldn't sing, but somehow the awesome albums were made. Is that what you're trying to t tell us? A little bit, <laughs> <laughs> a little bit. Uh, sure. 
Cool, man. Well, um, I think it's been an epic combo tonight, Mike, and uh, I really appreciate it that you're coming on. Because as you said, I was yeah, trying to be a bit cool and say this wasn't the first episode, but this is well and truly been the first episode of Face the Strange. And, and I really appreciate that. Be the I first, really appreciate you. first episode. I, I think this one will not be the only time that you and I can chat on this um, particular podcast. And hopefully hope in future, there can be even a musical element. Um, I don't know about stand-up, but perhaps maybe <laughs> even you can just throw down some mad one-liners would be amazing. Um, yeah, but, yeah. Just but get I me think, real comfortable. My life is a stand-up routine. <laughs> yeah. See, I think whether, you know, in the future we end up with a camera or whatever, but, you know, singing the song would be beautiful. So I sort of, um, as I build and learn this new medium for myself, I appreciate um, what I can derive and glean from folks like yourself who seemingly, you know, do, do a bit of everything, but as well uh, helping me out by just coming on and sharing, man. So really appreciate oh, that and like i and, said it's, it's nice to be asked it's always nice to be asked so. yeah well and, and i think there's more that um from your you know uh story that yeah i think for your audience we can sort of delve into and just explore and uh, yeah very much appreciate the um that willingness that you have just part of your your soul brilliant so, life is short too short for things you can't say indeed Awesome, brother. Well, let's um let's wrap up there. And uh, yeah, as I've you know dubbing it this podcast about that the only constant in life is change. Well, then I think this sharing and embracing the moment is when we turn face the strange. So thanks very much, Protected Twin. New album, August twenty sixth. Um, now it's sounding like I feel like a, a radio DJ right now, like because I'm trying yeah, to you just, develop you just my like into the archetype. You yeah, into absolutely. It. Check it. Like actually, in this, you know, just moment, I've I've gone. Oh, I need to fulfill a yeah a role. That's right. That's very interesting, yeah. isn't it? <laughs> cool. All right, bro. Thanks so much. Well, no um, worries, man. It's been an honor. It's been an absolute pleasure. And um, till next time.